1: Buongiorno, bike buddies, and grazie for downloading the 107th episode of this little podcast experience we call Scoring at the Movies. We review aged sports films and we dissect them from front to back. Spoilers, they're ahead. I'm the not entirely honest used car salesman who's never shaven his legs and is territorial about his quarry, Ryan Ellis. And here's the man who doesn't just want to be an Italian, he actually is an Italian. The lord of his bicycle, the man who always wears his helmet when he's riding that bicycle, Chris Gregorio. Como esta, Ryan? (laughs) I did ride my bicycle over here today, too. What a coincidence. I would have been here sooner,
0: except that some shady eye tie rode up next to me on the road and stuck a pipe through my front wheel on the way, so I took a little bit of a spill, but no harm, no foul, thanks to my trusty helmet, and I got here one piece. (laughs) You could say that. I cannot. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean... The slur that's in there. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty minor, but Even I shouldn't say that. You say I'm Italian. I'm more like... Fake Italian. I've been described as (laughs) as Italian. I'm born and raised in Toronto. I think I said to you in a text message, I have thoughts about this movie. This is the first time I watched it, right? Mm -hmm. But I had all kinds of trouble figuring out whether the father's blatant anti-Italian racism and implied anti-French racism at the end was meant to be
1: sincere, or if it was like a super dry delivery of a gag. That's a good question, because... He's one of the funniest characters in the movie, if not the funniest character in the movie. But that kind of stuff obviously doesn't age very well. I don't think it's mean-spirited. No, it's just casual. I Thai food. What do you like behaving like this? Do people not like Italians in the 70s? I don't get it. What's (laughs) going on? My parents have said things like that even recently. So it's not great. It was kind of interesting from this perspective for me anyway. My father often complained to me.
0: He was born in 1950. So when this movie came out, he would have been in his late 20s, Mm -hmm. early professional career he was a lawyer. In the late 70s, early 80s, he felt like he was discriminated against for being too ethnic. White guy, not flagrantly Italian by any stretch. He grew up most of his life in Canada, but he felt like he was discriminated against for being too ethnic. And then as he got older, he was deemed to be not ethnic enough because of being a nondescript looking white guy. I wouldn't know if that was true in the late 70s. And judging on the content of this movie, which does take place in reasonably rural middle America, not urban Canada, but nonetheless, looks like he was probably right. There was definitely some, if not anti-Italian, at least casual, poking fun at Italian kind of attitudes that were prevalent at this era that
1: I had no idea about. It's the Nelson Muntz logic. Gotta hate something. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta hate something, something. There aren't very many black people there to hate so. Oh man, I was going to mention Are there that any? too.
0: I didn't see a single non-white
1: face. Or it, Indian, as in from India.
0: I couldn't spot a single one. We both live in a very multicultural urban area here and I've lived here my whole life. Mm-hmm. So anytime I go somewhere or even see a movie where it is just purely one race or another, in this case it's just all white faces as far as the eye can see, it is a little bit jarring. And I think we've talked about being okay with historic representations. If you're going to make a historically accurate movie and it takes place, let's say in Africa in the 10th century and everybody there is African, you don't see any white faces or anything else. Yeah, fine, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's something jarring about seeing a movie that was made 40-ish years ago and not seeing a
1: non-white face it's weird I wouldn't have thought Bloomington Indiana would be guilty of that but maybe it was a college town too right Indiana University is right there that's an actual place they didn't make that up I looked up too their population they're not very big they've got about 80,000 people there so when you look up the most populous places in America (laughs) it pretty much doesn't rank (laughs) I don't even know what is the state capital of Indiana Indianapolis Yep.
0: wow (laughs) Wow, Chris.
1: Oh, I probably should have reckoned that to be true. I think Gary's a decent size. Maybe it isn't, but I've heard of Gary, Indiana. Lafayette, I think I saw that when I was looking through the population centers. So aside from being co-located to the university, there's really not any reason for Bloomington to be a big city. No, and of course, it's based on the reality. The cutters thing. Stone cutters.
0: We do. We do. You stole my nutshell. I thought I was
1: going to spring it you and make you laugh, but I'll do the nutshell right now. And you just took it away from me, but yes. Maybe they don't want to be stonecutters no more. (laughs) (laughs) I got a royal sampler. (laughs) Although Paul Dooley's character, and his name is Ray Stoller, goes back to the old job. I don't really know why that scene's in there. It's almost like he's saying, "Mm, did I want to leave this job and sell cars? I don't know. He goes to the old job, does it for a few seconds, and then we just leave that scene. Right. But he was a stonecutter long ago. I'm probably going to rip on this movie more than you are. I get the sense. This is an instance
0: where I have to admit it's probably the viewer's fault more so than the movie's fault because this is a movie that I had all kinds of trouble understanding or at least putting myself in the shoes of some of these characters just given when it was made and where I grew up versus what it's portraying and stuff like that. A lot of these things and the experiences of it and this coming of age type of story are so removed from what I understand or what I'm experienced in that I had trouble sympathizing with some of this stuff. Yeah, they live
1: in a town, but it might as well be rural. They spend so much time doing rural things, riding the bike, or Dave mostly riding the bike, and then them going to the quarry as much as they do, which is out in the country. The whole conflict of the movie, aside from Dave's
0: desires and his parents not understanding them, is townies or cutters versus the university kids. And the university kids are always implied, if not explicitly said... To have come from larger towns like mm-hmm. Chicago's mentioned a bunch. And right. they come in, they go to school, but they're bringing their parents' wealth with them and they're traveling to Italy or whatever. I had all kinds of trouble understanding stuff like that in certain scenes, like the stone cutting scene. At certain points in the movie, I wasn't sure if the movie was intending to say it's okay to not want to go to, and incidentally, it is okay. Do what mm-hmm. you want to do. It's okay to not go to university, it's okay to go into the trades. It seemed to be saying that because there's so many voices saying, "I was a cutter, you'll be a cutter."
1: I cut the stone for this building. It's how we built this life. But Ray is not pushing that on Dave. No, not explicitly. And in fact, he even says, "You're not a cutter. I'm a cutter." That's right. At the end of the movie, he said or late-ish
0: in the movie, it's that pep scene, isn't it? At the it university, yeah. yeah. But even though he says that, at the same time, and this is part of the thing I didn't understand about the movie, he'll say that to Ray: "You're not a cutter. You're not Dave. destined for that." Sorry, yeah. Ray will say that to Dave: "You're not destined for that life. That was my life." But then Dave is saying, here's a thing in my life I'm really excited about, being racing. And he's really good at it. And I'm really good at it. He's won all kinds of trophies. And his dad's like, ah, that's nonsense. What's wrong with you? Why are you obsessed with Italy? I only wanted a little bit of idiocy out of you. I didn't really understand where the dad was coming from.
1: I didn't either. I like the character, but he's not the most consistent character. And why does he turn and suddenly start backing up Dave? strongly backing up Dave too. because apparently Dave is a winner now so he's okay with it Although Dave, he was a winner before, he was a winner before yeah. the movie opens with him bringing bring a trophy home and he won that bike apparently too <laughs>
0: you're right that didn't make a ton of sense to me you kind of yeah. knew it was going to happen because it's a movie trope the unsupportive pretty dirt baggy dad and I mean dirt baggy from both the parental sense but also the business sense
1: that's why I said not so honest yeah car, he's like East he's car
0: salesman he's crapping all over his kid and then he turns the corner at the end and it's a heartwarming thing like you knew that was going to happen and it didn't make a lot of sense to me either The other element of this movie, which is core to the whole movie, that I didn't really get is everybody looks at Dave like he's an alien being. And part of what I didn't understand about that is part of what I didn't understand, the attitudes towards Italians, whether it was a joke or sincere. I got the sense that people were looking at him like, what is this bicycling nonsense, right? Whether it's his parents or his friends, you're giving up on the biking yet? Are you giving up on the biking yet? But they have races in that town. Yeah, two big ones, including... They're not going to New York or something. Yeah. Or like, even to Gary or Indianapolis. This race that the movie culminates in is this huge event that's broadcast on the radio. There's tons of people there. They're celebrating like they won the Super Bowl. Apparently, it's a big thing in Bloomington. But the fact that Dave is into biking is weird
1: to these people. I didn't really get that. I didn't either. Well, the screenwriter in his, I think, debut... Yes, Steve Tesich. I'm going to crack this real Oh, quickly. yeah, yeah. Get your beverage open there. What do you have over there? Got a nice sparkling tea. Oh, not alcoholic drink? spark. It's instead. a Saturday and it's the evening. You're going to stay for dinner, but you're not drinking. What oh, is it is alcohol. It is alcohol, oh, yeah. right. Stepped over that. I am drinking CC and Diet Pepsi as per usual. So Steve Tesich wrote this, his debut. He also wrote American Flyers in the mid-80s, which starred Kevin Costner. And that is about bike racing also. So another Costner movie and another bike racing movie. I guess we should do it one time. And I think it would be six Costner movies. And you and I probably would have done Bull Durham, except Bevan already did. That's right. We definitely would have done Bull Durham, probably the beginning of this, had it not been for the fact that I've already covered it in another podcast. But anyway, so he wrote this movie, he won the Oscar for this movie, and yet you're criticizing, I think, in a lot of ways, the screenplay. So we've watched coming-of-age-slash-characters
0: developing and coming to grips with new phases in their life movies from this era a couple times. And the ones that I was thinking about specifically, and especially given Jackie Earl Haley's in this, is Bad News Bears, Mm -hmm. even things like Longest Yard, Slapshot... And one other one from the 70s I know we talked about and I'm blanking on right now. We've covered a couple of movies from this era. And I think every time we've talked about them, me certainly, but I think you as well, we've struggled sometimes to understand where the screenwriting is coming from. Like, is this meant to be funny and mm. then just not landing with us? Or is it meant to be straight? Longest Yard is a great example of that. That's definitely meant to be a joke and it doesn't come across right. like that to us because we're an audience 40 years removed from its Slapshot, release shot, Slapshot,
1: Caddyshack, same kind Caddyshack of thing. Caddyshack was the other one. Thank you. Okay, right. I guess
0: that was 1980. Yes. I had a similar problem with this, where I felt like a lot of the writing that might have really spoken to an audience in the late 70s, early 80s, in particular in rural America,
1: smaller town America. doesn't now for you.
0: I don't understand it.
1: I think Paul Dooley probably would have got huge laughs back then. And I think I've seen this movie three times. I'm pretty sure I saw it way back when, and then maybe, say, 10 or so years ago, and now yesterday. I feel like I've laughed more at him before. It's not like I sat there and thought, how could you say, I Ty, that's so bad. The social awareness thing, you know, I've talked about in other podcasts, and I don't want to drill it to death because a lot of people do. But it is bothersome when it's just casual and unnecessary, and I have heard it in my own house with my parents and other family members. So I can't really laugh at a guy who's doing that, even though I think he's supposed to be most of the humor. And I guess maybe some of the ways that Dennis Christopher, who does play Dave, acts. By the way, he actually is Italian. Is he really? His last name is Corelli. His real last name is Corelli. When he's putting on the Italian accent, pretty natural.
0: It sounds pretty natural. In mm-hmm. fact, to me, it sounded more natural than some of the Italian bikers that we see later okay, in the right. movie. I didn't look up any of who these bit players were to see if they really were Italians.
1: To my ear, anyway, my Italian is abysmal to say the least. <laughs> but it I think that's the point: good. is that he's supposed to be meaning. Paul Dooley is supposed to be knee-slappingly funny. Yeah. And then the four guys have their moments. It is Daniel Stern, almost always a funny guy. His debut, by the way, too, his first ever movie. He so had the- some good moments. Yes, he did. So the four characters, we said Dennis Christopher is the main character, really. Dennis Quaid. Talk about cut. Oh, Especially my Especially for the late Jacked. 70s. Daniel Stern, like I said, his debut, and Jackie Earl Haley, who had already been in the Bad News Bears, and I think at least one of the sequels at this point, and then he's also in Semi-Pro, which we covered before. He's got that goofy role where he wins some kind of prize, he finally gets the money at the very end of the movie or something. <laughs> That's right. So he covered him three the times. court shot guy. He's the only guy who's the right age, although I think he's actually even too young to play a 19-year-old. The other guys aren't much older than 19, but they're all about mid-20s, the two Dennises oh, really? and Daniel. Stern is so goofy looking and... Doesn't look that old. Well, now he does. But when he was doing Home Alone, for example, he looked fairly young, let alone in 1979. So I think he was convincing enough. I didn't look at them thinking, this is a grown men playing those characters, except Dennis Quaid. Okay, football player. Mm-hmm. But looking like that in the late 70s, he could have fit in in Pumping Iron. Yeah. Almost, anyway. <laughs> almost. He
0: was Stallone-esque in his physique, almost. Okay, so we've got Jackie Earl Haley and Dennis Quaid both mm-hmm. in this movie. And one of the earliest scenes with Jackie Earl Haley, when he's talking to his girlfriend slash later wife... He's in the garage or something, doing shoulder presses over his head, behind the neck, in front of the chest, chest presses. And he's got this bar with weights on it. And you don't really get a very good close-up. But I'm familiar enough with weight sizes to say, okay, depending on the thickness of those plates, you've got at least 80 to 100 pounds of total weight when you take into account the bar and the things. Mm-hmm. And Jackie Earl Haley is a small guy, as is pointed out over and over in this movie mm-hmm. in a weird way. But he's also a really skinny guy. And he's just throwing 100 pounds of weight up, down, around like it's nothing. Why didn't you have Dennis Quaid play this scene? He doesn't have to be talking to the same woman. But if you're going to have somebody pumping iron, it's got to be Dennis Quaid. That would
1: explain his physique as well.
0: Yeah, and because... If he's no, always working out when he's not hanging with those guys. Okay, He does say at one point that he knows he's never going to play college football, but he won't smoke anymore because he feels like he's got to be in shape, even though he's always got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's like, holding it, though, yeah. Yeah, he's holding it. He's got the packet rolled up in his sleeve and stuff. But at no point in this movie is there anything made of Jackie or Hilly as a strong kid, even if he's small, or anything like that. So why did you have a scene with him throwing this abnormally weighted down bar around that was
1: clearly foam or something? Hmm. Because it never comes up again. He's unbreakable. Bruce Willis is unbreakable. (laughs) I guess. Keep putting more weight on there. I can do it. I don't (laughs) don't look like I can, but I can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It made no sense. I had to rewind that scene three times watching him throw that bar around the way he did I'm like you're gonna rupture your shoulder tendons or we're something. supposed
1: to dwell on that I guess well we talked about the comedy where it is or where it isn't I think a lot of the comedy for people back then that loved this movie and many people did I'll do the numbers in a second is gotta be the chemistry with the four guys and I think they do have chemistry I think they work yeah. quite well together none of them are very experienced yet even Quaid we've now covered him three times two out of three weeks it'll be three out of four soon but well I guess six but whatever you want to look at it we do every other week but he was in any given Sunday as a quarterback, fittingly, with this now. There's the ice cream truck on a Saturday evening. I'll be right back. <laughs> Not quite dinner time for us. Of course, we did the Express two weeks ago where he's a football coach. Right. And we're going to do the Rookie in two weeks where he's a baseball player. And Stern, we've seen some of, we could see more of him because he directed and acted in Rookie of the Year. And he was also in Celtic, I guess it's Celtic. Yeah, it's Celtic. It's about the Celtics, Pride and whip it that's about roller derby Drew oh. Barrymore directed that All right. maybe a different one for us to do a sport we might never otherwise cover oh no roller ball is effectively roller derby meaning the James Caan original and then the remake so there are some other roller derby movies I guess and then Christopher was in Chariots of Fire the Oscar winner from a couple years later Right, and also he's in Django Unchained the Tarantino movie he hasn't he made is. a movie in a long time yeah he's I think the older dude who is with Calvin Candy oh wow I believe that's him yeah so anyway, the foursome works pretty well together. Christopher and Paul Dooley, I think, of decent chemistry. But you know the irony about all this? Maybe not irony, but you talk about good acting and award-worthy, that kind of stuff. Not that we're saying these guys aren't necessarily. Although Paul Dooley, it wouldn't have shocked me if he'd been nominated. He wasn't. But the woman who plays his wife, Barbara Barry, mm-hmm. was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie for Best Supporting Actress. Really? And if I didn't look it up ahead of time, I would never have thought that. And because I knew uh, that going in, I thought, okay, where's the big scene? And she is the one that convinces Dave to ride again. He has to be convinced twice to go back to doing something he loves so much. He needs yeah. not just one inspirational speech from Adrian. Adrian, you've got to make me want to do this. He needs two of them, including from his own mother. Yeah. But I don't know why she was nominated for this movie. I guess it was a weak year. Meryl Streep won for Kramer vs. Kramer, which is a pretty good choice. But Barbara Berry was there at the show, or at least was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. By the way, it was released on July 20th, 1979. So we're not too far away from it being literally... 43 years ago. Good yeah. math for once. And it was a very big hit that year. It should be on Disney+, Plus because it's a Fox property, but it's not. So we paid for it on Prime. Well, you watched it on YouTube, and I watched it on Prime, but we both had to pay for it. So anyway, Rotten Tomatoes, 95% of critics like this film. 8.2 yeah. out of 10 is the average. 41 reviews are on the it. site. I don't <laughs> get it. 88% of audiences. It was Roger Ebert's number two that year, and Gene Siskel's number four on well, their top ten What was ten Ebert's lists. number one? Kramer versus Kramer? It might have been. I don't recall now. Might have been Apocalypse Now, actually. He loved Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. That's true.
0: The fact that you say that would be number two for Ebert in 79 reinforces to me that there has to be a generational gap
1: here somewhere where Mm.
0: it's just not speaking to me in the way it would.
1: But I can address that other thing, though, because I'm going to get to something that will maybe hurt that theory in a second. First of all, box office. 41st that year. Rocky II was third. We've covered that, of course. North Dallas 40. Got to do that sometime. 27th. Total opposite of this movie, by the way, as I recall. I haven't seen it in a long time, but a great movie. Very cynical about its sport. This is not cynical about its sport. The one Oscar for the original screenplay by Tessich, I said that. Four nominations. Best Picture. Best Director for Peter Yates. Guy who did Bullet, by the way, the Steve McQueen Mm -hmm. movie. I mentioned Barry for Supporting Actress and the music score. Yet it's so much classical music. I guess the adaptation of previous music, I guess. which is a little bit debatable, but it was nominated for that. It's also very heavy-handed. <laughs> well, it's true, definitely, with a lot of Italian, not all Italian, but a lot of classical music. Yes, But here's the thing, though, too. I've mentioned AFI lists before. We haven't talked about this in a while because we haven't had a movie that had any. This is on two AFI lists, which means we're talking recent. We're talking the 2000s. It was on the cheers list, and it was on the sports list. Well, the genres, the top yeah. nine genres of the top ten sports. It was eight on both. It was eighth mm-hmm. on The Cheers. It's Wonderful Life was number one. Rocky was fourth, so it's the highest rated sports movie. This was eighth, though, so it was the second highest rated sports movie from Inspirational. And then the sports list, it was eighth. Like I said, Raging Bull was number one, not a favorite of yours. No. But these are recent things, so you talk about it being something, oh yeah, in 1979 they looked at movies differently. But these lists are not that old.
0: Yeah, but I don't think it's... it's I'm not saying the lists are right or wrong, I'm just no, saying that it,
1: that's something that was voted on
0: decades later. I think almost universally when you cite an AFI list, I'm always like, What? Clearly, my
1: point of view does not line up with the AFIs, and I don't know who's voting on these lists to begin with. They're credible people, generally speaking, but they also love old movies, especially exactly. when it came to the comedies, top 100 comedies, or even just the original AFI list. They love so many, if it is a comedy, it almost always is really old. Yeah, and I think that's a type of perspective, and even if it's a list from the early 2000s, when they were
0: voting on it, my guess is a lot of these people voting would have been our age, so like early well, 40s, probably a lot older than us. Older, When they were coming of age, when they were in their teens or 20s and going to movies, they would have been seeing movies like this one, like Breaking Away. So it's got that nostalgic factor, even if you're looking at it again 30 years later or 40 years later. Do you think a
1: 25-year-old would love this movie if they watched it right
0: now? Yeah, No. There'd be a lot about it that would either be offensive. I wasn't offended by the use of eye tie or anything like that, even if my family is Italian. Mm. I was just confused by it. But I think part of what was problematic for me, just aside from not having the I don't think the experiential lens to watch this movie and relate to it Mm. we've seen so much toxic nostalgia right in North America in particular recently remember berries? yeah I mean I think a lot of the time it's the post-war era that people think of when they say this but it also applies to the 60s and 70s think of how great life was then and how awful it's become now and remember when things were this way Mm. and I look at this movie as an example of that to a certain extent it was a movie to me that seemed to promote, but also be critical of not aspiring to anything, right? So you should be okay with working yourself to the bone and work yourself into the grave in a manual labor job. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, Mm -hmm. but I also think you should be, and I think it's important in fact, to try to aspire to expand your horizons and to try new things. So. That was part of the thing that confused me with the scene that you talked about earlier where Ray visits the stone-cutting... I don't know mm. if it's a mill, a factory. I don't know what you call it. The quarry. And he sees all these old people. These gray or white-haired they old... should retire. But men, yeah. I thought you retired. Oh, they won't let me retire. And it's kind of played jokingly and jocularly and stuff. But it's sad, though, too. It's sad. Because the implication is they can't retire. Or they won't because there's nothing else in their lives. Because as Ray says... He was on his own at 17, and from that age onward, he was basically working from dawn till dusk and breaking his back and exhausting himself, coming home, sleeping, and going back to work again. That's not a great existence. And if that is your existence, I'm not trying to crap all over it, but for a father to then turn to his son and basically tell him to, like, stop aspiring to anything new or different, it just felt like conflicting messages to me. So for the people that might look at this now who are 50, 60, 70
1: years old and say, oh, I love that movie. It's a great coming-of-age movie. feels a little bit like toxic nostalgia to me. We're supposed to be buying into Dave, though, and not Ray.
0: And if Ray didn't have that scene at
1: the university, if he didn't have that moment of talking to Dave finally and actually connecting with him, It'd be even harder to like or accept his point of view. But we accept Dave's because he is aspiring to something. He's a phony, especially with Catherine (laughs) pretending to be Italian for so long. How
0: did he think that was going to play out ultimately? Like when he comes clean to Kathy, and I guess we're supposed to feel sympathetic for him. You were lying to her from the get-go.
1: This was going to happen eventually. She slugs him. Apparently that was a real slap when she hits him. She actually slapped him. He deserved it. (laughs) And then he lies about being French at the end. I don't think so. He said he was using Didn't He did do a French accent? He did a French accent, but he was talking to the oh, French okay. student. and He's learned something then. He did learn
0: something. But you're absolutely right. We're not supposed to relate to Ray. We're supposed to relate to Dave. But the reason I keep citing Ray is because that attitude pervades the movie. And I think it leaches
1: over into the kids in the form of, well, we're just going to give up super easy all the time because that's what they do. You're... There's a really good scene with Dennis Quay where he laments his future of just being Mike. Of course, his name is Mike, but he's just going to be Mike. He also reminded me a lot of, actually, McConaughey's character, Dazed and Confused. Never mind the high school girls stay the same age and I get older, that whole thing. Okay, it doesn't age all that well either. But that's not the point. It's just that Wooderson seems to enjoy that existence of just being in town, being a townie, I guess you could say, in that small town in Texas. And Mike reminded me in this movie a lot of that character, even though this movie came first. So I guess this might have inspired Wooderson. But Mike doesn't want that the way Wooderson did. No, I agree with you. I think that's a good comparison. Well, what is, what are, what are, what is Mike doing about it, though? Yes, Moocher gets a job. You. I think I've told you this story. I know I've told Bev this story. It was so similar to this movie, and I'd forgotten this thing because I haven't seen the movie in a long time. When Moucher gets that job, I think it's a car wash, right? Where he punches the clock? Yeah. Literally. And then leaves. He is there for minutes. Not yeah. even minutes. Probably 45 seconds. And then throws the, I guess, gloves down and then throws the towel as they drive away. My cousin's friend, a long time ago, we were probably 20 at the time. We're all about the same age, so 20, 22, something like that. Mm-hmm. He had a job in some kind of manual labor thing where he... I'm laughing thinking about this. He had a hard hat they gave him and gloves, and he was supposed to do something really hard and physical, and this is a strong guy. He could have done it. And I guess he thought, to hell with this. And I don't think he'd even done anything yet, much like Moocher. He left the gloves <laughs> and the hard hat on top of the pile or something like that and then left, didn't say anything. And then my cousin Jay's thing was... <laughs> Did they think he's under there? Because <laughs> the hat was sitting on top of a mound. <laughs> well, Musher does that in this right. film. But he isn't having very much in the way of aspirations if he's going to give up on a basic job. Right. But that's also the future they have. They're singing, well, Quaid's singing, but the ANP in the very beginning of the film. I know. And that's an honest day's work. When you were saying a minute ago, by the way, about aspiring to more, which obviously Dave does, he's the only one of the four of them that really does that much. Well, then again, Cyril, Daniel Stern, does take the college exams. We don't know if he did well. Dave apparently did. And of course, at the end, Dave is in Indiana University. Cyril took them ironically, apparently. Right? Yeah, and we don't know if he did well, probably didn't. Exactly, yeah. All these guys are 19 in the movie stars. They aren't really doing anything. Right. Dave's the only one that's really doing anything in the sense of training for this. I don't think he thinks that he's training for a bike marathon or a bike race, but he is, in effect. It makes you wonder when the movie's over, because the movie is supposed to be so inspirational. Apparently. Are the three friends inspired? Are they going to do something else with their life now? Because we don't find out. When the race is over and they're all celebrating that, I don't think we see the three of them again, do we? No, we don't. I think that is one small change to the script that I
0: hadn't thought about. If there had been something either before or after the race, and maybe it's a little cheesy, but nonetheless, where those three guys or those four guys had a conversation and Mike said, you know what? I'm going to take the college exams or... Moocher says, you know, I'm going to Chicago to meet up with my dad to get a job or something. And I'm taking my wife with me. He never even tells his friends that he got married. That never resolved itself. We see them going to get a marriage license. And then I think it's Dave sees them going into City Hall or something. And it's never mentioned at all in the movie. She's got to get
1: pregnant. If he's 19 to- going on 20. Well, they could be in love, sure, but But, that's because she's pregnant. But why show us that if... If Why do the the friends never find out? Why do
0: the friends never find out? It's never brought up. There's never any implication of pregnancy. We see Dave's mom pregnant at the end of the movie. Right, yeah. Weird, non-sequitur scenes in this. But if there had been a scene where there was more to the outcome of the race than just Dave finding the belief in himself again or something, I would find it more of an inspirational ending because, as it was winning or losing that race felt almost pointless at the point when the father says all right screw this i'm gonna go watch my son dad's now proud of dave great group. mom's already there the friends are already participating
1: they've come together as a group what's riding on the outcome of this race at this point to me nothing well plus he raced most of it by himself and the fact that they were even as close as they were when these other three guys weren't doing anything for a while and yeah. weren't very good at it if they'd third that's still an incredible achievement considering he did so much and then he's racing at the end on a bad leg they tape his leg or his foot to the pedal. That's right. I ain't going off no more. (laughs) You know what would have been a a more inspirational ending to me? And also given some of the other movies
0: we've watched in the past, we like that the underdog loses because it's more realistic and people learn the lesson the movie's trying to teach without having the cheesy, unrealistic ending. Rather than Dave having that accident reasonably early in the race, it happens maybe a few laps to go, right? And the bike is ruined. He can't finish the race and the four guys walk it to the end. Sort of like we belong mm-hmm. style cool in Talladega Nights, or, or cool runnings. They walk the sled right off. Exactly. The track. To me, that would have been a more emotional and touching ending, especially if you then get the college guys giving them a pat on the back or high fiving as they cross the finish line, mm-hmm. because cutters win in a tight finish. I, knows basically barely beats him i like the air bud style commentary from the cycling announcer too it looks like his team is taping him to the bike well there's nothing in the rules that say a dog can't play basketball so i'll allow it but after the race ends in the celebration and the award ceremony or whatever you see the jerk college guy scowling and then all of a sudden Rock like, smiles yeah all right we like you guys
1: why they just beat you. You hated them the whole movie. That also felt hollow. Or even if they win the race, I mean, the cutters win the race, like they did, yeah, barely. I think he's racing Rod at the very end, isn't he? He's racing Rod, the main yes, bully, right? I believe he is. I so then, it's. just have a shot after that's happened where Dave crosses ahead of him, where it's disappointment. But I got to hand it to him, you did it. But we don't see him until he's in the stands and does the slow clap with his face, basically by slowly smiling, but not actually. What? Well, I think he claps too. But and by the way, you know who that guy is? Hart Buckner who plays Ellis in Die Hard. Remember the guy that no. is Yep, that's him. Really? Nine years before. Yeah, he's got a beard in Die Hard and nine years <laughs> older. That's the same guy. That is. Wow. If you heard of the voice again, you'd recognize him for sure. He's also in Mr. Destiny, which I watched I don't know, about a year ago. I'm not nope. a big fan of that. God, why would you rewatch any James Belushi movie? I was <laughs> surprised how bad that was too. But it's a sports movie. I thought maybe I'll watch it now Fair. and we will do it eventually, but I don't think we will because Ideally I really not. didn't like it. But anyway, yes, Hard. Ellis. Wow. Who gets himself killed. <laughs> You want to talk about the Oscar stuff, but let me do three more bona fides. It was also nominated for three other AFI lists. One of them was the Top 100 Songs, so that song that Cyril's playing guitar on and Dave is serenading Catherine with, Ma Pare Tut Amour, that was nominated for the Songs list, and it was nominated for the 1998 and 2007 Top 100 list, so the main ones. It could have been considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Didn't make it, but was nominated. Really? Yep. This movie has about as many bona fides as I've ever reported to you about a movie, and certainly in a long time. But what about the Oscar thing? Best Picture, I guess, is one of the big things. Of course you don't agree if you don't love the movie. How could you agree with that? I feel like every
0: time I'm critical of the movie, I have to offer the caveat that I appreciate how difficult this type of movie in particular is going to be for somebody watching it for the first time in 2022 that has no relation to these kinds of events. At the very least, I acknowledge and can see the earnestness of what this movie is trying to do, this coming-of-age story and these friends and the family. I can put myself in a 1979 audience member's shoes and say I could see myself liking it in that era, right? Well, the
1: basic storyline is nothing new. It's a very tropey type. That's so why it's funny it won the original screenplay Oscar because it's, it's so not very weird. original. Yeah. Of course, that actually means that this is not based on prior material. But still, this is really an award-worthy screenplay. Yeah, I would question that, to be honest with you. I'm more willing to say, okay,
0: best picture, fine. It's that best actress thing It's throwing... Supporting me- actress. Supporting actress. She's fine. She's got some touching scenes, but not a lot to do. And a lot of the scenes are her quietly looking teary-eyed at her husband's behavior mm-hmm. or her son's behavior and then some confusing scenes as well the thing with the passport that I really didn't understand the point of either because I thought for sure when she goes into the drawer and pulls out the passport I thought she was gonna say I got you a passport and hey you can go to Italy now Mm -hmm. oh no this is my passport so I can show it at the AMP when I have to cash a check or something what's so important about his mom having a passport that is supposed to be touching for Dave I don't get it I also don't understand in movies like this I think this is an era of production kind of thing where it is very much an earnest movie it's very much a movie that if you're going to enjoy it I feel like you got to connect with the emotions of the characters and their growth and their stories and their connections to their peers but they feel like they have to throw in these wildly over the top moments at the same time that make no sense to me the one that caught my eye and I had to rewind it like five times to rewatch this just to make sure I wasn't missing out on something there's the scene where Dave the Italians are coming the Italians are coming he goes for a ride to train, and he pulls onto the main highway. and sees the 50-mile sign or whatever. He starts riding towards it. And then he, of races course... Races the truck? Well, not just a truck, a Chinzano truck. Of all the trucks, it's going to be Chinzano in the middle of Indiana. But yeah, he races the truck. And we see the speedometer on the truck get up to like 60-plus miles an There's hour. There's no
1: way he's keeping up with that truck. Right? I don't think it's literally possible. Even Lance Armstrong his best with all the juice in the system. I had to look it <laughs> up. have come close to that. I bike enough
0: to know how fast I go over the course of 10, 20 miles. How fast is that? For me, it's about 18 to 20 miles an hour. So I looked up how fast do professional cyclists on average ride in a street race? They top out about 28 miles an hour on average (laughs) over a street race. The fastest speed ever recorded in a professional race by a cyclist was 60, just shy of 63 miles an hour. That
1: fast, huh? But
0: apparently that was going down quite a steep hill in Germany. So how fast was Dave going? About 63 miles an hour on a flat straightaway. For a while. we already said the scene with Dave pulling in yet another trophy. We get he's good at Mm. biking. So why did you need this wildly over-the-top moment where he's doing something that is physically impossible while chasing an Italian-branded truck in the middle of Indiana? And he's the one that gets pulled over,
1: and he's the one that gets ticketed. Yeah. Because you're not going to pull over a bike. Another thing that's supposed to be funny, I guess, is the brawl that Mike starts because he wants revenge for what happened to Cyril. And Cyril gets the bowling ball stuck in his hand, using it as a weapon. That's supposed to be hilarious, I guess. As I recall, Moocher throws the first punch. So the little guy is the one who starts the fight, even though it was obviously going to start anyway. I guess that brawl is supposed to be hilarious, especially with a guy with a bowling ball in his hand, and then it comes flying off. They go into the bowling alley for reasons. I don't remember who They're Mike... looking for the college kids, aren't
0: they? They are, but Mike sees the back of a guy's head in the bowling alley. They go in there. The guy turns around. He looked like a balding 40-year-old who was weirdly flamboyant hey, you guys want to throw some balls kind of delivery. (laughs) They're in there for 10 seconds. And Cyril, in that time, not only feels like he has to put his hand in a bowling ball, but apparently jammed it so hard in there that it gets stuck. That is straight from Home Alone, Daniel Stern, like (laughs) Wet Bandits level
1: nonsense. Well, John Ashton, who does play Mike's brother, comes in. We see him a couple of scenes. The cop, I think he's got three scenes. We see him yeah. on the street with them. I kind of liked his performance, to be yeah. honest with you. He comes in in that scene in the bowling alley, and then he's at the race at the very end. He's Taggart in the Beverly Hills Cop movies. So he and Judge Reinhold, we a lot of scenes together. And he's also in Little Big League, which we got to do at some point, because that's one of the classic examples of movies you wanted to cover when we started this podcast. That's right. A film from your youth that you probably saw when you were 12, 13 years old. But yeah, I liked his role where he first meets up with the guys, and he's talking with Mike about, what is it? Don't drag race, essentially, through the college campus. And then Mike hears him, but then he actually hears him. And now, okay, fine, you're right. He's not just blowing him off. John Ashton looked like he was going to come in there and be the bully. No, he was... But he's not. He's actually a pretty good guy and a pretty good brother. He seems to know and like the other kids Because he's a cop in this movie, right? He could have been a dick, but he's not. That's right. I thought that was one of the elements that played the best. Because
0: he's the cop, and because your initial gut reaction the first time you see him, is like, oh, great, here's the older brother cop that's going to bring the hammer down. And then, like you said, it's more like a be cooler about things or else I'm going to have to be a dick and I don't want to, so let's chill out. Okay,
1: He gets through to Mike. He actually is listening, I think.
0: Yeah, so it was both very touching, but it also, for me, was one of those scenes that also reinforced how sad and pathetic these four guys were behaving. Mm -hmm. We see them hanging out over and over in the quarry, and then Mike, in particular, is the worst offender when it comes to this. Anytime one of the guys, whether it's Moocher trying to get a job or it's Dave biking or something... Anytime somebody tries to attempt something... Don't break up the band. Don't break up the band. And then you see Mike, who's supposed to be the cool guy with his flashy car, which is a beat-up piece of junk, but nonetheless... Not flashy. You know, he's supposed to be the cool guy dragging around town. And you find out in that scene that, hey, you know what? Even this little element of coolness that is left to Mike isn't really his. It sounds like it's his brother's car that he's lent him or given to him because he's like, if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to take the car away. That's right. For Mike, it was just like... You have literally nothing. You don't have a job. Aside from these three guys, we never see you with any friends or family until we meet the brother. No girlfriend, no aspirations, no possessions. You have
1: nothing, man. It made me a little sad, aside from the brother's chill performance. At the very end, well, during the race at the end, at least, I found it to be interesting that he basically refuses to ride. But he's the athlete of the four. Well, I guess, actually, Dave is, but... But the other three guys, he's clearly the athlete. Look at his body. He was an athlete in high school. Look at the way he looks now. And of the other three guys, he's the best racer.
0: Yeah. I think that was an element that was not fully explored, that part of Mike's personality. What I took away from that is we are meant to understand that... He doesn't want to look bad? Maybe he doesn't want to look bad, but maybe he's also a bit of a blowhard. Like, I was the quarterback. You weren't the quarterback. I was. Maybe the the team
1: stunk. He was the quarterback of a bad team.
0: I think we've all either seen or had friends that were big shots in the small pond kind of thing. Al Bundy.
1: He could be an Al Bundy. That's right.
0: That's a good comparison. He might talk a big game. He might look real fit, but he's either scared or insecure that he's not ever going to quite perform to the level that he talks himself up to. So I'm not going to do it. But you're right, he ultimately does get on the bike and he performs well. You mentioned Dave as, really, he is the athlete of this group. One thing that did make me laugh, and it was totally not intentional in the part of the movie, when he's racing against the Italians Mm -hmm. in whatever that race was, the Bloomington 100 or something, there's the shot of Dennis Christopher riding. You only get the torso shot, you don't get the full body. And then it cuts to the legs that are supposed to be his legs. Yeah. But you've got these enormous chiseled diamond shaped he calves. Not have. He's a fit guy, I guess, but they're pretty skinny little legs, especially his calves. And he kept cutting up and then cutting back to these chiseled legs. <laughs> <laughs> this is goofy, man. Stunt legs. <laughs>
1: the stunt legs were very funny to me. <laughs> hey, he's clearly in pretty good shape, but it's more of the character from Free Solo. That guy yeah. is probably stronger than even you, even though he's smaller than you. Oh, because he's been working at...
0: strong. Yeah.
1: What's his name? Hunnold? Alex Hunold. Alex Hunold. yeah. The guy that Tesich wrote is Alex Hunold on a bike. Yeah. It doesn't look like he could kick your ass, but certainly could if he wanted to because his muscles are just tight and toned. But I don't think that's what he actually looks like, but that's the implication. That's right. Maybe Quaid should have been the racer.
0: I think we know from seeing even modern cyclists, they're never going to be particularly huge. They're just going to be a fairly thin people, but with usually very large thighs and very
1: strong But like Hunold, everything is tight and toned, and Quaid is the person that fits that bill in this movie. And he's not huge. Quaid isn't huge at all. Incidentally, speaking of the race against the Italians, there's
0: (laughs) another total unremarked upon thing where the Italians are just... We get a lot of shots of them just racing around the streets. That's a long race, too. It is a long race. Long scene. And it's a road race, right? So they're on the streets, and at various points there's people standing by the side of the road cheering people on. And at one point we get a shot of the Italians coming around a curve one of the Italians throws a banana peel at one of the spectators. And part of me was expecting one of the racers behind them to hit the banana peel and spin out cartoon or Mario Kart style. But the other part of me was thinking, hold on a second. So you're telling me one of these racers when the race started had a banana secreted about their person and neither ate the banana or just brought the peel or just brought the peel or they peeled it while racing ate the banana and then threw the peel at a spectator <laughs> to what end to what end? <laughs> i mean maybe they wanted the potassium again. why did they feel like that had to be in this movie just the throw of the banana peel <laughs> so you're saying the movie's got a tonal issue then too which i guess is on yates as the director I don't know, because I could not, for the life of me, figure out how much of this movie was intended to be funny. I think a
1: lot more than either of us thought it was.
0: Right. So I feel like, from my viewing now, might have tonal problems, but maybe if I was watching this in 1979, the stuff with the banana peel, even with jamming the bar through the spokes Mm. of Dave's bike. So mean, you could have really hurt him. But it's played almost for slapsticky humor in the moment. Yeah, Bugs Bunny doing it to somebody, maybe. That kind of stuff, I think, plays up in humor if... All along the way, you're also laughing with Ray's casual racism or some of the comments that come out of the Cutters versus the college kids stuff. Because even that stuff, largely, I didn't really understand. The constant ragging on Moocher's size, for instance. Mm. Yeah, he's not a big guy, I guess. But Ray rips on him. Why are you so small if you eat so much? At the end of the race, when he gets on the bike, the college kids like, oh, the, the little guy's getting on the bike. And Okay, so if you're riding a bike... The wheels only turn so much and the pedals only turn so much. So it's not like having longer legs is beneficial because you're just going to be more scrunched up. If Moocher is smaller, he can extend his legs fully. Contrast to Daniel Stern, he's pretty tall. Yeah, and he looks like he's crunched up on the bike or he's splayed out. I don't think it's a detriment to be smaller and lighter on a bike in that circumstance. Why are they ragging on the small? It's almost as if they thought that they were playing a football game. Yeah, the small kid's going to play. Rudy's out there now. Yeah,
1: that's weird. (laughs) Moochie.
0: There are some Rudy-esque elements to this, right? Like the dad not buying into Rudy's Mm -hmm. desire to play on the team
1: kind of stuff. So I've talked about the main four guys and what they've done. Robin Douglas, who does play Catherine. So her debut. She's only in three other movies and a bunch of TV shows. She's very pretty. She is, especially that last scene with Dennis Christopher. Mm -hmm. So the score factor of this movie is mostly about the four guys being topless so much of the time, if you like that. I do love the shot of the four of them standing, basically, on that rock so laying, but also effectively standing because of the way it's angled. It's a great shot that Bates set up. It's almost like... Sorry, Yates, not Bates. King of the Hill-esque. Yup in the way it is yeah right yep. but I think they look pretty good in that shot it's well lit and all that stuff if you're into the boys especially Quaid then yeah this movie's very scorable PJ Souls from Carrie is in this briefly when they're on Who the campus she? when Dave is serenading Catherine oh okay and she calls Rod sorry and then Rod and his friends come and they beat up and we don't see it but they beat up Cyril right right so, anyway, PJ Soles has a small role in this, and she's always been cute, but it's not really a scoreable kind of film unless you're into the guys. And hey, if you are, then so be it. But they're also mostly 24 year olds, so <laughs> they're not that far away from their age. But they are a little older than they should be. I like Dennis Quaid a lot in his performances, and this
0: is a movie, even if I didn't love the movie, didn't love I think he's good in this. I think
1: he's good in this. Mm-hmm. And
0: if this is his first role, or at least first big Not role, his
1: first role, it was Daniel Stern's first role.
0: There's a quality to this guy where I could see he's got something. So I like Daniel Quaid. Wait, I like. Daniel Quaid and Dennis Stern? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You like Dennis Quaid? I like Dennis Quaid. I also like Daniel Stern. I thought he was pretty good in this. But there was a super sad element to his character. It's hinted at when it's like the four kids on the rocks. They're talking about how little they've got going on. And he's got nothing going on. Like, Moocher's got stuff. Mike's got his past. And Dave's got his stuff. But Cyril's got nothing. And then later on, when Dave's talking about the entrance exam stuff, and Cyril's, I'll take it to maybe just to see how badly I fail. And he talks about... His dad being really good at being understanding of my failures, right? And there's this super sad element because he just reels off these things that he's tried to do and failed at. It doesn't sound like his dad's hard about it, but it sounds like his dad is also not encouraging. It's just, you're a real screw-up, Cyril. I get that you failed again. It's okay. Then we get to the end of the movie. The cutters are victorious, and you've got Dave and his mom and dad are celebrating. You've got Moocher and his wife that nobody knows about mm-hmm. are celebrating together. Mike just looks... His brother's there too mm-hmm. he just looks happy that he succeeded at something. He's got a little glory back. But then there's like this long shot on Daniel Stern where he's looking around and he's seeing like these other three characters Nobody's there for him. and there's nobody there for him. Is the movie just trying to say this guy's dad is a true deadbeat and these other three guys are gonna be okay, but maybe
1: Cyril won't be. Is that what the movie's trying to say? makes you wonder too if these guys could even be stone cutters. Maybe they want to be stone after all. <laughs> Who pulls down the electric car? <laughs> because why aren't they being pushed by any of their fathers to do that? It seems like maybe that's not a future in this town for anybody.
0: That is one thing that went a little bit... At least bit... the new guys. Maybe the
1: old guys will keep doing it, but no new
0: guys. The one thing about this movie that really went mostly uncommented on, but I wondered about too, is the economics of it, right? Because they talk about finding a job a little bit, but how hard it is. Ray's talking about that to his wife, Right. He might not get a job, but I want him to at least exhaust himself looking, right? Because it's hard to get a job. And they mentioned briefly the stuff in the Middle East, right? Because this is the oil crisis of the 70s and all that. And this is also about the time when America started to see the peak and then slow decline of the Rust Belt cities. So I didn't know if this movie was also trying to say this generation of guys, Ray's generation, that had at least a sort of booming stone quarrying industry, and it wasn't glamorous and it wasn't going to make you a lot of money, but it was a good living that you could raise a family off of. That's not here anymore because the demand for the stone is not there anymore. and The whole industry is slightly drying up in the same way that the steel industry might be drying up soon. And I felt that same implication that you just described, but it was never really talked about that much. Nobody offered anything. Nobody ever really described any aspirational outs Moocher was the closest one. We was talking about, I think, his dad moving to Chicago and finding a job. But it's not like... Anybody said, oh, no, I'm going to go work in the quarry, and that sucks, but it's kind of what I'm resigned to. It's a job, at least. It is a job, but is it even available to them? Well, that's
1: what I'm saying. I don't think it is. I don't but think But it, it is. would be
0: a job. It would be. Yeah, so I don't know. I wish there was less of an emphasis placed on this almost cartoonish, late 70s, early 80s, every man versus stuck-up college guy. That
1: whole trope is really tiresome at this point in time, so it's hard for me to get behind it. it might have been newish at that point for it people been. watching. It's like the Rocky storyline was newish, because it had only been three years. But those kinds of things, these inspirational underdog sports movies, I think, were fairly new. Certainly in the Rocky mold, obviously, because this movie was only three years old. That's right.
0: And when you say you think, is it because you're not sure if they're new
1: or you're not sure if this is an inspirational movie? (laughs) (laughs) Both. I felt inspired enough, I guess. Well, okay, the inspiration would be the cycling and the fact that Dave never gives up. But he gives up. Twice. Well, true, yeah. I guess that's true, isn't it? He
0: gives up real easy. And even
1: just the notion of when he does go on that hard wipeout, if he wants it so bad, you think he would ride with one leg. And he yeah. does give up for a little, as he should. Any normal person would, but he's not normal. The fact he even sits off as long as he does is surprising to me. By the way, did you notice
0: when they cut to him on the medic's table or something, and the one medic is taping up his knee where he fell and it was bleeding, and the other one is for some reason like shoving a Q-tip up his no- nose? An over. early COVID test.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? There might be a virus in 40 plus years, and so we should test <laughs> you for it now. Here in Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> So as far as the cycling goes, it's a sport I've never watched on TV. I don't remember ever watching the Tour de France, which is why we're doing this right now, by the way, because the Tour de France started around this time and it goes till later in the July. But I have a bike, you ride, so yeah. it seems okay. <laughs> Actually, impressive enough from Yates and his production team to have a movie that has this much riding and to make it look pretty realistic. And you've got to cover an awful lot of ground, especially that scene with the truck and then all the races for that matter. Of course, the main race at the end is just a circle. Not that that's easy. But when you have to go across all kinds of country, Mm -hmm. you've got to get locations, you've got to get the proper lighting, and you've got to get lucky sometimes to make this all work and to look pretty believable. So production-wise, it's pretty impressive. I like the way the cycling was shot, and I liked how into
0: biking dave was would have been very easy for this movie to just say he rides a lot because he wants to be a good racer but it takes the time to really show us more than once that dave's really into biking and all its elements the maintenance of the bike he rebuilds the bike we don't see a lot of it but he does do that that's right when he's dedicated to biking he's dedicated even if he's really dissuaded pretty easily mm-hmm. a couple of times,
1: he is dedicated when he's to Will they ever with stick it. with it and get to the Tour de France himself in the early 80s? We don't know. It yeah. is, of course, not really. Although Steve Tesich did base this on people in that area. I think he's a big cycling person, oh, yeah? for one thing. So it's not based on a real story, but in a way it is. Not literally based on a real story.
0: I kind of expected Dave to be more obsessed with France because of the Tour de France. Yeah. But he's obsessed with the Italians. And I get cycling,
1: especially in this era, would have been big in Italy too. But why was he so obsessed with the Italians? Maybe they were the greatest racers at that time in reality. Maybe they were the top team. Could be, yeah. But we don't know true. much about cycling, so we can't look back and say.
0: <laughs> if only there was a way for us to know this through <laughs>
1: some sort of search engine. Oh, well. We don't care that much.
0: <laughs> no, we don't.
1: And we already said the score factor is... There is one, but not strong. <laughs> they are supposed to be playing 19-year-olds, for one thing. And they're boys, except for... Robin Douglas is cute. Did you like the movie? We haven't really talked about how
0: much we really well, oh liked right, it. right, I'll give it
1: a score. I think I liked it more than you, but you have definitely talked me down from what I was going to say, because yes! it achieves everything it sets so out to do. That's what I wrote. I don't know if I believe that anymore. It's sweet and has a few prickles, especially with Paul Dooley. I think that is true. The movie's rock solid, and again, we've got to talk about the fact that it's over 40 years ago. If we yes. were watching it then, we'd probably feel differently. We've acknowledged that many times. I was going to give it a 7. I'll go down to maybe more like 6.5 because I think it still achieves most of what it sets up to do even though I think you made some excellent points in the past hour-ish of this podcast. Obviously, I liked it more than you. So your score is? I would give it a 5. Okay.
0: I would put an asterisk on that saying I understand that I'm harder on this than I would be if I had seen this 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying not to be punitive about a super woke look at a 1979 movie or anything but I can't put myself in the shoes of these characters well enough to really sympathize with a lot of it but i do give it credit for exactly what you said it is sweet it is earnest even if it is weirdly prickly at times i think mm-hmm. that's a good way to describe there it. are
1: tonal issues though definitely tonal issues and some things are unexplained the movie's not that long it probably could have been another 10 minutes longer to yeah. do some of the things that you've suggested happen but it is a pretty short movie it's only about an hour and 40 minutes long But it was celebrated and still is. You look at the Oscar nominations and such at the time, and the win, and then the AFI lists since, the Rotten Tomatoes numbers. Most people love this movie. We didn't, although I liked it more than you did. So enjoy the rest of the Tour de France if you're a fan of such things. If you're into European bike excursions, that is, we'll root for good wheeling and for the right person to end up with the yellow jersey, whoever that might be. I don't know. Come on, Lance. (laughs) You can do it. (laughs) Is he redeemed to get a race again? In two weeks, the summer of Quaid continues as we cover our third Dennis Quaid sports flick in the span of a month and a half that was not bland. I forgot that he was in the Express when we chose that one, and I wasn't really thinking much about him being in Breaking Away, but I knew he was in The Rookie, and we'll be covering this right at the time the second half of the baseball season gets going, just days after the All-Star game, because this time he's a geezer throwing a baseball in The Rookie, which I've only seen once and not in a long time. And that is on Disney+. Plus. This should have been, because it is a Fox movie. You think he's as ripped in The Rookie as he was in Breaking Away? Well, he's playing a 40-plus-year-old guy, or maybe late 30s-year-old guy. I don't think he would be <laughs> in that part of the point that he's not supposed to be doing this. He's supposed to be an everyman? Yeah. I don't
0: know. I'm going to keep my fingers
1: crossed for rippling six-pack quade in this. Based on a real story, though, too. Really? He actually pitched for the Rays. I think at the end you see the real guy oh, pitching I didn't know for that. the Rays. I think so. Oh, cool. We're going to find out in two weeks. All right. We're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. You can email us, scoring at And to find this podcast, well, you probably already know how to do it because you found this one, but all 107 episodes are available pretty much everywhere you get podcasts. You take her easy, Papa, and shall. Mon dieu.
0: What? Au revoir.